You're listening to the Voice of MPE podcast, the show that brings you interviews of MPE conference speakers and stories of merchant payment leaders from around the world. The Voice of MPE podcast is produced monthly for enjoyment and show notes are found at www.merchantpaymentsecosystem.com. Today we're talking about the new topic at the MPE 2020 conference, the challenges of talent management in payments. With your host, payment expert and regular moderator at MPE conferences, Alex Rolf. Welcome to the MPE podcast series uh, live at uh, Merchant Paper and Ecosystems. We're here today talking about talent management in the payments industry, and I've got three uh, experts here to discuss the topic with us. Gentlemen, would you please introduce yourselves and your companies? Yep, thanks very much, Alex. So I'm Simon Stokes, I'm senior partner with Greenings International. Uh, Greenings International is an executive search and leadership organization that is dedicated to payments and banking and fintech. Perfect, thanks Simon. Um, I'm Thijs from Payment Jeans. Uh, we are a company focused on strategic resourcing, consultancy and marketing service, purely focused on the payment industry. Uh, and I'm responsible for our uh, global business development strategy. Camille Laubman, uh, also from Payment Jeans. I'm uh, one of the co-founders and uh, currently responsible for everything commercial uh, related within our business. Okay, thanks guys. So I heard today, um, an interesting point. So the, the card payment business is worth $25 trillion per year and the payments industry in itself is worth $200 trillion per year and it's growing faster and faster. Uh, my understanding is that one of the big challenges that the industry has but doesn't necessarily face up to is getting the correct talent into the industry at the moment. So I appreciate it's a general question, but let's talk about what are the major challenges that you guys see from your perspective in matching the correct talent with an industry that's growing and is the size that it is. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Um, Tyson, you okay if I kick off? Of course. Yeah, thank you. Um, so my my background and career is actually in the on the commercial side of payments organisations like CyberSource. Visa and ACI worldwide and and during my tenure within those organizations getting the right talent in was a perennial challenge. Um, When we think about um, the acquisition of talent quite often what we miss is the fact that it should be seen as a strategic imperative to sit alongside our technology strategy, our product plans and strategy um, and our expansion and growth plans to be able to overlay the right talent to be, to execute on those plans effectively. Yeah, I think that you make an, a really good point there. Um, what I feel as well, and that depends of course purely on, on what kind of company you are uh, and as well the size that, that you are. Um, but the bigger companies, uh, most of the time at, at the, in the system or in the ecosystem, you see that they do different kind of acquisitions. Uh, and I feel that they have a lot of problems with, with keeping their, their people in there uh, and not really have structured plans in place uh, to deal in that way on, on the talent management side uh, with different kind of acquisitions. Um, so for, for me, that's as well a major point where, where they could, could win a lot, uh, where on the more startup side, you see that the companies are really uh, troubling with, with bringing the right people in with the right talent uh, to execute uh, their, their growth plans. 
Yeah, so there's a really valuable point there. Um, so I think there's, there's, there's two points I want to address, and then we can to and fro on this maybe a little bit. Um, the first is that um, we just conducted some research greenings and a, a partner, Parkhouse Bell, and one of the um, responses that we wanted was, you know, does your organisation see strategic talent acquisition as a board-level imperative? And 74% of the respondents came back and said, yes, they do. But that still leaves sort of 26% of organisations feeling that they don't necessarily have the support of their boards or the exec team to help them navigate this challenge of bringing the right talent into the organisation or actually developing the talent effectively that already exists. Um, so I think, I think that's the first point. The, the, the second point was we were talking a little bit about diversity a while ago and one of the areas of diversity that came up was, was age. And then thinking about your, your point there about some of the newer entrants and um, the fintechs and, and some of these organisations are younger by nature, younger startup, entrepreneurial, the staff um, demographic is probably quite young, but getting the right level of experience and talent into those organisations to navigate through the complexity of our sector and industry. So if you think about the challenges we have today, I mean, you talked to us about um, consolidation and mergers and acquisitions. There's ever-changing, but also there's innovation, new payment types, different fraud challenges that we have to mitigate and overcome, huge regulatory shifts that are going on. And finding the right talent to be able to help a, a startup or a mid-stage organisation through those challenges, again, is a real challenge. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you on, on that part. And I think that the, the main point there, what's making it so difficult, is that most of the time the people with all the knowledge are coming from more kind of corporate background, right? Like to the bigger names in, in the market. Uh, and then for them as well to adapt to smaller, fast-moving kind of uh, companies uh, is extremely difficult. So you have there always the, the two sides. On the one side, they really need the knowledge. Uh, but the other side, they as well need people that understand their way of thinking and as well are capable of keeping up with the speed that this company wants to go to the market with. Um, and I've seen that those two are, are most of the time yeah, really challenging to, to bring together in, in one person. So, um, Thijs, can you maybe give uh, a picture of... So, th there's two things that occurred to me. There's one, getting the right talent in, and there's two, holding on to the talent that you have. Yeah. Um, from your perspective, and maybe not naming names, but... Can you give an idea of what companies are doing right in terms of keeping a, a, a talent and attracting talent and what, you know, conversely, client, uh, clients and in, and in this case, companies are doing wrong in trying to attract talent? Or, or is it not as simple as that? I, I think it's extremely complicated uh, and it really depends per company on <laughs> where they're good at, where, where they're less good at. Um, <clears throat> what I see happening a lot with companies is that especially on a higher level they are extremely good in bringing the right people in uh, so if we talk about more the, the bigger companies out there uh, that, that the level of contribution especially on a head to, to C level is extremely high uh, but that this kind of companies most of the time uh, have more problems with, with keeping the rest of the team that's really executing the plans uh, in space and as well keeping them in a way on board and connected to the company um, yeah, I think that for <laughs> me is the main point there. Um, and then for, for startups, um, I think that 
the extremely nice thing of being a startup. You are cre- capable of creating such a kind of culture that really can bring the whole team with you to to a common goal. So if you have a strong leader there that's really capable of creating an, a vision that's competing for, for the whole team, uh, I think that yeah, these are the kind of companies that, that will win that challenge because they're really capable of keeping their people in and they are happy to run and, and run in, in such a way that I don't believe all the, the corporates are capable of achieving. Yes, yeah, so I mean, Tati, on just so many really rich points there. And um, I think one, one of the things that I, I uh, have been talking to folks recently about is, is this whole area of number one, attracting talent, and what are the key levers that are required to bring people into your organization. And I put that in two contexts. You sort of got um, Gen X Millennial and Gen Z. So, Gen X Millennial. Um, that to me, I think that's about being attracted to the brand. And so, as an organisation, I don't mean like a brand like you know, Uber or Google or whatever, but it's going to attract people because of its size, its enormity, and and and, and for some, you know, probably just there's, there's some attraction to working for an organisation like that. But but what about other organisations? What can they do to sort of improve the attractiveness of their brand? And some of that is about leaking out into the marketplace in different ways, you know, social channels and so on. You know, what you're doing as a company, how you're developing your people, the programs that you have, the mobility that you have, the career experiences that, that they can get working for your organization. And I think also in terms of retaining, it's about that sense of being valued and, and belonging and, and also feeling you're part of the culture and the DNA of the organization. And sometimes you can't overcome that. You know, that we've all worked in organizations where it's a bit of oil and water. You know, it's just never ever going to work. Mm-hmm. But the second, the second part is when we look at the next sort of employee base that we're going to be looking at, which is the Gen Z, the younger generation. And it's interesting that when you talk to some of these folks, and I mean, you know, for some of us like me, that's my children. Yeah, and you talk to them about what sort of job that they want to do, and they cannot grasp the concept of a long career within one brand. It's, it's beyond them. You know, they want experiences, they want mobility, they want to travel around the world, they want this and they want that. And I think as employers to attract the future talent, we've got a period of time now where we can think about how we um, organise our our brand and our message in the marketplace to not only attract the talent of today, and I would say going back to the point about the startups and uh, the the, the, the mid-stage organisations, um, bringing yesterday's talent in to actually help with the experience that they have and, and pollinate that you know, within what is a young team. Um, so it's, you know, it's about the past attracting the present, but also thinking about the future and how we bring that to those uh, empl- future employees that have a different mindset, a different set of values to maybe the, the ones that we have today. Is it? Can I Please do go ahead. No, no. Uh, besides that, what you said, indeed, about uh, the, the the kind of the presence online, about how you actually are perceived as a company, I think it also has a lot to do with the leadership within the company, so the management in, in that sense. Because I think still, eighty percent of the people who leave their job is because of bad management, is because they are unhappy with with the people who are actually, uh, yeah, where they report to, and. I think nowadays, if you, if you compare now to, to let's say 20, 30 years ago, there was still 
it was necessary that there was a manager who made sure that people did their job. And right now, because of the millennials, it's even more importantly that they feel a lot of value and that they get the appreciation. So it's more, I think companies need, uh, need less a manager and more like a coach and really a leader who shows you, uh, them how to, do they, how to do their job and also how to uh, show appreciation for what they actually do. I think that's also a really important uh, factor in uh, retaining your, your staff. Sorry, Yeah, maybe on, on that side, I think it, it's all about how can I motivate my people in, in such a way that I use their internal motivations to, yeah, to let them grow and, and with that work and do the most best things for, for the company, right? And mm -hmm. that's, I think, as well the point that you're trying to, to make here is, mm -hmm. is really to focus on, okay, how can I bring people in, in such a position? How can I let them feel of growing that they are capable of achieving more for for the company itself and instead of telling them this is this is what you need to do uh, and then you're doing your job and, and you're doing it good yeah and the, the I, your, your points are spot on and um, the the role of leadership of leaders in in business generically is is changed and and, and now we have an accountability as, as as managers and business leaders to focus on the welfare of the people that are under our pastoral um, uh, uh, control, as it were, you know, from a, from a leadership and a management and an organisational point of view. Uh, you know, in previous roles, I, more recently, I've been measured on um, employee satisfaction as a manager, as a leader within the business, directly by oh, my good. team. And uh, I also get, uh, or was, measured on you know who's coming and who's going. So my ability to attract talent, my ability to retain it, but. Uh, but also develop it in, in, in between those two. So I think more and more now boards and executive teams are putting the accountability on the leader to make sure that the environment is a positive one for their employees. Yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, I, I think um, culture has never been more important in, uh, in the payments industry in terms of what people have. But I'm, I'm wondering if we've reached a point in the in the um, maturity of the business or, or the industry rather, that there is now, you know, you've got the fintechs for kind of youngish people who want to, you know, have a billiards table or ping pong table or whatever, and, 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 and they can go and do that stuff and feel like they're uh, uh, attached to that. But then as they get a bit older and they feel like they need that stability, there's companies like the Visas and MasterCard where they can go and, 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 and know that they've got a, a period of time where they can, where they can move through, through, through a career. Um, and I think that in a roundabout way gets me to one of the other points I wanted to make about geography and you know we're talking about acquisition and I'm, I'm interested to know in such a global industry how difficult is it when you are approached by clients who say we need to fill these roles and you think oh that's amazing and then they go in this place and you think yeesh that's going to be that's a, that's a trickier ask so outside of London, San Francisco maybe uh, Berlin, Paris and a few other places, Singapore, you know, are there, is it really difficult to get people to go elsewhere? Or do you just say to the businesses, guys, you know, have you thought about setting up here? I'm, I'm interested to get your opinions on how you advise on, on those levels. Yeah, and I, so I, I guess I'm going to go back to your intro point again, just in case there's anybody from Visa, Visa and MasterCard listening to the, to the podcast. It made, it made it sound like, you know, go and be, have a young and exciting career in, yeah, in a few decades. Then, but but I, 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 you know, having worked for Visa for, for many, many years, uh, they are, you know, the schemes are exciting, 
dynamic, uh, innovative places to, 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 to work. And I think there's a, a cross-pollination need. I think, you know, quite often in larger organisations, you can get people that, 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 that stay because it's a very, very varied environment for them. You can do multiple jobs you know, in, in a period of time. Uh, but having sort of left and gone out and worked for a fintech actually straight out of Visa, I, I, I think there is a lot of value to say to people that, you know, I, I, I think you're doing a great job here, but it's time for you to go and explore opportunities elsewhere, expand your career. And it's, it's part of your personal value and brand in our community of the payment sector. It's a hard thing to do to say, go leave us, go try some, a few other things, learn some other stuff. You know, toughen up a little bit, or, or, or learn some new sectors, and so on, and then maybe you know, come back, you know, come back in five years, and you'll be a completely different individual. So, I think there's definitely a cross pollination required. But I get, I get the, the the sense of what you're saying there, Alex. And then in terms of the the, the cross sector and cross geography challenge, I, I'm going to start this from a point of view of diversity and bringing balanced leadership and people with differing experiences and backgrounds into our organization and yes it is difficult to bring talent from Africa it's difficult to find talent in some markets Africa or the Middle East or Eastern Europe that there's loads of talent there but that understand the payments industry well you know in, in, a, in a context of a first world context um, so I, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of challenges when you look in certain markets and geographies of, you know, is, is there the right talent there? There's definitely a lot of talent, but is the right talent there for my organization? And if it is, how do I find it? That's really difficult. And I think some of that is also about the, the channel that you use to, you know, to find your talent, to go and seek talent. And um, in our uh, survey that we did, our research project that we did recently, um, where we sort of reached out to 50 uh, key leaders in the payments industry, um, we asked them this question, how, how do you find your talent? And the number one was referral. Um, so that word of mouth, that, that, that sort of the, the network, whether that's referral internally or externally, I think sometimes we underestimate the power of the network. You know, we're a small community, and I think it's very reasonable to reach out to people through LinkedIn or through our own networks and say, look, I'm looking for this talent in your marketplace and I can't find it, anybody that you know. And you know, that's maybe some advice for talent acquisition. It's, it's advice for us as a retained search organization. I'm sure it probably resonates with, with, yeah, um, sure. with, with payment genes as well. So, so I believe we should be actively looking to bring talent from different sectors and different geographies into our organizations because they give that diverse point of view and experience, whether it's cultural, whether it's a gender perspective, whether it's a geographical perspective. Thank you. Yeah, maybe to, to jump into that, I, I think you mentioned there a really important point, um, and that's that referrals at the end is, is a way of, of doing business. And I think as well, if you look at, at the headhunter business in, in the past 50 years, how it always has worked, has been on referrals, right? It was always about your more and your own personal network. And we have seen through LinkedIn that technology in, in that part has become way more important, but I still really believe it is in people business. So at the end, you do business with people and knowing they're not right people in, in the network are at the end bringing the right connections to, to make it happen for, for your company to grow. So on, on that side, I, I completely agree with you. Um, I think on 
moving people around through uh, different kind of locations, um, I think it really depends as well on what kind of people you are looking for. Um, we do now as well a lot of IT business, and what I see there that there are hubs in and everywhere around the world that they are way further with IT than. To be honest, before I started to focus on it, I didn't expect that they were already so far, right? So you can, for instance, see in Brazil uh, that, yeah, they have great people working there. And these are people that were willing to come to Europe and then maybe not even have, uh, and are not that expensive as people that are already based here. So you see this, you see that as well in Turkey or even Iran, uh, Russia, what I think already has been on the map for, for quite some time, India. Um, there are a lot of different kind of, of places where you can get the right talent um, and then in that way create the diversity in the teams that, that you want to create. Uh, I believe that the main challenge there is is that it really depends on where somebody is in his life, on how successful he's going to be the moment you make this kind of move, right? Um, and I really like in that way the um, the connection with what I, for instance, see with, with a football club is like Ajax, they always try to connect people towards each other. So they team up people so that they feel more at home. And because of that are as well um, adopting way faster and way faster getting up to speed into their new environment. And I really think that if you have a smart kind of culture technology behind it or a culture kind of map on, on how to do this and integrating new people from all around the world, uh, that, that this is really something where you can win. Uh, and, and create a really big impact as a company. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think we're drawing towards an end, but I, I'm, I'm keen, and it might be a difficult question to answer, but um, you know, I've, I've come across this term acquihiring where, uh, where a company potentially has the product or service that another company has. Uh, so they're not buying the company or the services, they're actually looking at the five or six PhD guys who are there and have set it up and they, they purchase a business purely because they're buying that talent. Um, I think some of the uh, answers we've had to the questions today around culture, maybe that's a little bit of a dangerous thing to, to assume that you can do. Uh, but the question on the back of that is kind of what is missing in the industry at the moment? What are the most difficult roles to fill? You know, and I don't mean like absolute specifics, but, you know, I'm just trying to get a feel for, um, you know, what, what are the most difficult areas at the moment? Can I start off? Of course, yeah. Thanks. Um, what I think where we're moving to and what you now see happening, I think that Amazon Web Services is an extremely good example of this. Uh, 15 years ago, when you wanted to start a business, you needed to create your own services. Uh, then you needed to set everything up and then you could really start thinking about the specific clients that you wanted to target, right? So it was extremely expensive to, to start up your business. But now with Amazon Web Services, you can start your business everywhere. Uh, and it's only costing you what, what you're using. So it's way cheaper to start off. And you see now as well, really this kind of movement um, as like so far as a service in, in the fintech space. Um, so with that, more and more companies will start creating different kind of platforms that are connecting uh, different players towards each other, what's making it easier to think about the end customer again. But with that, I think as well that the main challenge for all the people will be on really hiring their IT stuff to create this kind of platforms. So there are a lot of people that are really out there that have great ideas, but they need to be capable of building it. And I think that that's one of, of the main challenges that, that companies will be facing, bringing the right people in on, on the IT side to really create this kind of platforms. Okay. Mm. And um, I, I think when I, when I thought about the, the question that you asked there, there, there were sort of two elements to that for me. I mean, the, the, the first one is, you know, is it new positions or is it, is it newer experiences? Thinking about all the changes that are going on within the industry right now, 
um, and the ability to navigate through that. Um, so I, I, I can't think necessarily of new job titles and, and roles, although you know, we're, you know, we're talking to some organisations where you know, they're looking at the app-based economy and bringing you know, skill sets in to help leverage that, which is commercial and technical and social and so on. And so when you, when you bring all of that together and try and harmonise it, then um, yeah, you're, you're, you've not got one individual that has all of that. You know, people are coming in from different parts of organisations too. So I don't think it's necessarily new positions. It might be more new teams to leverage. Um, so I think I think that's the um, one of one of the one of the first things. Um, I, I, I think the the other area is is really about how we develop people. So um, making sure that we look into the future and and understand you know, what what is the new regulation coming? What are the competitive shifts in the landscape? What can I see happening in my own organisation 12, 18, 24 months down the road? Now the obligation is on me to be able to put development programs together to prepare my employees, my staff, my leadership, my board, who I want to actually invest in that so it can happen, um, begin to make sure that that is actually going to be delivered and become a reality. And that will be, I think, for anybody listening, I think that will be your competitive edge, not your only one, but I think it could be as important as the technology and the product and the marketing and the go-to-market strategy that you create. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe to the last add a bit to to what you just said. I think it also has a lot to do with the flexibility of the actual company. So, how flexible are you actually to get the right people in? Uh, in in Dutch, we have a saying like people are looking for for the five legged uh, sheep. So something which doesn't exist, but they still need to, <laughs> to 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 kind of find the flexibility there to find the right person for the company and what we see a lot with 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 companies is that they struggle a lot with finding this flexibility internally they still strive to get that 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 unicorn in which doesn't exist and that's where we try to advise our clients a lot on is about okay where if there is any flexibility where could it be and then we might be able to find you this kind of person so that's maybe also a tip to the listeners is is really to think of okay the industry is shifting millennials are growing rapidly within this market they are not uh, willing to, to to marry with just one company so really think of okay how can i attract this talent by changing our, our hiring strategy a little bit to get the right talent in. Yeah. I think that that's an important factor as well. Okay, yeah. thank you. Well, T. Simon, Camille, thank you very much for your insights and uh, thank you very much for listening to the MPE podcast. Thanks for joining us this week on The Voice of MPE podcast, powered by MPE. MPE is the biggest European conference and community of merchant payments professionals. Make sure to visit our website, www.merchantpaymentecosystem.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher or via RSS so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us too. If you like the show, you might want to check out Positivity Magazine video interviews where you can read and watch more success stories directly from merchant payment ecosystem speakers and industry leaders.